This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. In this episode, we'll be talking about the Texas Rangers. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Ballsy, the DFW Sports Day, DallasNews.com podcast. I think that encompasses all of our major titles. Um, I am Evan Grant, uh, and on the phone this week, not in the office. Actually, this this is a strange turn of events. Kevin's covering something. Kevin Sherrington wow. is here with us. Kevin, tell tell the people what you're covering. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that I have covered stuff for you, so that's really ugly to you to say that uh, that I am uh, on the road for a change. I am down in lovely Austin here to do the the preamble. This is just all. This is about leading up to you eating corny dogs at nine a.m., isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. You know, and that's a, and that's a really good turn. Do you eat a corn dog on the way in to the ballpark? Get there. I get there earlier than that for the eleven o'clock start. Or do you wait, go down at halftime? I mean, that's a mess. You get down in time to get back up. You know, I, I have to wait till after the game to have my corn dog. You know, it's a, it's a real dilemma. Well, I know when we went to the game together, we we ate corny dogs. I believe it was at about eight thirty a.m. outside of the Cotton Bowl, um, and I paid. I went with the jalapeno cheddar corny dog and paid for that throughout the game. Uh, a huge mistake on your part. I, I'm a big fan of the jalapeno cheddar. I'm sorry, it's just how I roll. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to get we're going to get to colleges in in the Texases, and we're going to talk about something we've never talked about before on uh, the the college podcast. You know what that is? SMU being undefeated. Well, SMU period. Um, but we're going to talk about them, so <laughs> we'll we'll get to that. I, I watched some of that game. Uh, did you watch any of that game? I did not get to watch that game, uh, but uh, I, I I certainly heard all about it. Uh, we were having a, uh, a shower for my uh, oldest son, uh, and uh, and I could not watch the game. But we were, we were getting reports though during the game. Yes. Okay. We we will talk about that game, but first let's talk about the Rangers and all the developments that have gone on with that team this week. And that's enough about that. Um. So Kevin, I you know I I have on the on the Twitter uh, I've heard from lots of fans, and the number one question there are two questions I think that that I get from fans are uh, one, what should be the Rangers' number one priority this off season, and two, regardless of what the number one priority is this off season, can they find a way to compete next year? 
So let's let's break down number one real quickly here. I, I think that um, you are on record as saying that this this club owes it to its fans and and in some ways to its players to go out and and spend money. Do you spend all that money in one place? Oh no no no! I, I'm not a fan of that at all. I was talking to uh, Kirk Bowles, a uh, sports writer friend of mine down here in Austin, uh, a long-time columnist, uh, and he was talking about Anthony Rizzo. And, and, you know, I don't subscribe to that uh, model at all. You're going to have to spend seven years, $30 million a year at least to get him. Uh, I don't think, and I think he's going to do this as well, he's going to a five-year contract. I think it's a bad idea uh, anymore. I, I just... everybody you know the easy answer would be the position player simply because the position player plays every day um i i do think what we see uh particularly in in the postseason is if you've got uh three starting pitchers that are reliable and durable um you've got an advantage in almost every series that that you play in um I don't know that I'd put Miner and Lynn on the same level as Strasburg and uh, Scherzer. Scherzer. I uh, don't know that I'd put them on the same level as, as Kershaw and Ryu. Um, but they're, they're above average one and two starters in the American League. If you back that up with somebody like Garrett Cole, um, which would actually put him at the top of the rotation – You've got a really strong one, two, three. How much of an impact does that have? Well, it, it, it saves you some relievers that may actually help the four and five spots be a little bit more effective for you. Um, I think it takes some pressure off the offense and allows them to just kind of um, focus on approach instead of maybe getting so tight that they've got to constantly uh, feel like they're fighting out of out of big deficits, but if you go out and sign Garrett Cole, um, even if you can get him, 
you that's it that's the only hole you're addressing you're not addressing third base you're not addressing um center field which means you probably start Danny Santana in center field and I think both you and I would would be okay with that possibility um you certainly uh haven't addressed first base uh or catcher um and you know I don't think you're going to address second base or shortstop but certainly there's questions about what level of second baseman and shortstop you have at this point so I that would be that would be the one move that could change, I guess, have the most seismic change in the American League West, but I also, individual move in the American League West, but I also don't know if it would significantly um, cut the deficit between the Rangers and the Astros. Um, the other part about Cole, and, and I don't know how I feel about this either, you know, if, if you sign Garrett Cole, you're going to end up having to surrender your first-round draft pick. But given how poorly the Rangers have done with their first-round draft picks, uh, if you get a guy that, that is a Cy Young-caliber pitcher, I, I guess that you have to say we're more than willing to make that sacrifice. Oh, absolutely. Here's my point. Uh, so if, if, if John Daniels were lucky enough to get Garrett Cole, could he really then say, okay, that's it. we got no money left for anybody else. I believe that if you get Garrett Cole, it's incumbent upon you at that point to say, all right, we're going we're gonna to put another $20 million in a year. We're going to go $50 million instead of $30 million a year for the budget uh, increase. And we're going get to our, get ourselves a, uh, a third baseman and a, you know, a, a guy who, who could uh, uh, you know, possibly uh, run in as a four-starter. Know, that would cost you a lot less. Um, I, I just think you have to do that if you're going to get Garrett Cole. So you're saying that uh, to get Garrett Cole, they'd be they'd have to then be willing to up the payroll to close to 180 million dollars. That's correct. Yeah, that would be the only way to potentially fill the uh, to, to to make yourself a real competitor um, this year, and you're still going to end up taking. In in that situation, you're still going to end up taking um, having to take a, a a pitcher that's not nearly as high profile as the other guys. Um, maybe even a guy in a trade. Um, but I, I I do have some confidence in this staff right now um, in this front office uh, on their evaluations on starting pitchers. I think they I think they they have hit a good run here with the. Uh, with the with the minor and the Lynn signings, um, in which they've thought creatively, in which they've uh, Im- employed uh, some better uh, some better data to to make their decisions, and they've gotten two really good values there. So I, I think that that's something that they could do, uh, but it still leaves third base, and you know you're not even if you add twenty million dollars more beyond. Uh, beyond say Cole, you're not going to sign Rendon and you're not going to sign Donaldson, which puts you to Mustakis um, or or a trade candidate or potentially Chris Bryant in a trade. Um, if you could get Chris Bryant at that point in time, then I'd have to think you you you'd think about that. I think his his arbitration number will probably go to about fifteen million this year. Um, but that would be a, a a huge huge acquisition. The thing is, then if you're gonna tra- if you're gonna go get 
Chris Bryant, you're going to have to be willing to give up, you know, Josh Young uh, or somebody of that caliber along with Hans Kraus, probably a third prospect from your top ten and a fourth prospect somewhere along the way. I, I go back to my point from earlier, based on how poorly the Rangers have done with player development, if you can get all-star players, uh, I think you have to uh, – you certainly have to consider that at this point. You can't you can't overvalue your prospects. No, you can't, and that, and that's the thing. You know, uh, you know, and fans, uh, a certain segment of the fan base is always leery of trading away. You know, what they consider future stars. They they get excited about the prospects, and and look, and and that's certainly understandable. And that I, I grew up in Houston, and I watched the Astros trade away prospect after prospect who became stars other places. So I, I'm certainly versed in that as well. But to, to your point, how old is Chris Bryant now? Is he 25? Chris Bryant? Yeah. I think he's 27. Is he that old? Well, yeah. at, at any rate... You know, that's, that's, still in the, that's still in his prime, and you have to understand you'd only have Chris Bryant for two years because I believe he's a free agent after 21. Yeah, and so that and then that could be a problematic thing, but but you, as you said, and I and I certainly you know interested in seeing what Josh Young can do. But I was having this discussion as well with with somebody recently. We were talking about uh, uh, you know, so why did the Rangers get in this position? You know, why why are they struggling now? And, and, that, and of course, the popular theory is that well, because they went they didn't go all in, but they traded a lot of prospects to be competitive over that five year run when they were very good. And, uh, and, and th- yes, that's true, they did trade a lot of them. But if we go back and look at those prospects today, most of them didn't pan out to be anything great. Right. Most of them panned out to be players who were pretty good, uh, had, had a couple of good years, and then they kind of uh, melted back into the, you know, the maelstrom of, of uh, baseball. So I, I don't really see uh, that. I, I'm like you. I, I feel like if you're getting a proven product, Chris Bryant is a proven product, I think you should probably do that. Right. Uh, if, if you are adding somebody like Derek Cole as well, you're, you're making yourself into uh, an immediate contender if you do that, in my estimation. I, I think that if you do that, you you certainly cover up some of the other areas that are, that are concerns. If you've now got a, a, a lineup that has uh, a Chris Bryant, Gallo, Calhoun, um I think that there will be legitimate at bats for Solak in some way. You're talking about guys who have pretty um, refined approaches at the plate, whether it's either in what they want to do in the at bat or strike zone recognition. And I go back to the last two games of the National League Division Series, watching the Dodgers and and the Nationals. I, I don't know if you watched any of that, but. Uh, the sixth inning of, of the Dodgers game three against the Nationals, uh, and I texted Chris Woodward that night, and I said, every time you bring up process and approach, I'm going to visualize this inning because the Dodgers were at two strikes in every count against Patrick Corbin. They fouled off pitches. They did not chase up when he went up in the zone. Uh, the only time that they chased was on some breaking balls that seemed to tunnel kind of right out of the same uh, the same plane and, and, and broke down sharply. But those guys were absolutely relentless with their uh, with their approach in the sixth inning, and it paid off into such a big inning that changed that game around. Likewise, I thought the Nationals did the same thing against 
um, uh, against uh, Jose Urias and and uh, Pedro Baez last night in in uh, in the sixth inning or the fifth inning of that game, and and, and that is what it takes. It takes a full lineup. You can't just have a guy like Chu at the top of your order who has a really good approach, and I, I neglected to mention him in that. But Chu really is the guy that we take for granted because he does it all the time. But you can't have two or three spots in your order that do that. Even the guys who make outs, they have got to be guys who are going to grind out those at-bats and make every inning a stress inning for the pitcher. When you do that, then when you get to a third time through, opponents are either going to be going to the middle of their bullpen or they're going to be sending a pitcher up who's seen who, who your hitters have seen a dozen or more pitches from at that point in time. And I think the advantage swings much more into their favor. Well, I don't think there's any question about that. And, and, I, and I think it brings up a, an interesting uh, a question as well uh, about, so who do we feel like it was that did uh, a really good job? And, and you know how coaching is. Uh, everybody wants to say, oh, this guy's a good coach or bad coach. Sometimes it's everything to do with the material you're working with. Yep. Not only is it, is it good material, but is it someone who is willing to work with you? Uh, and, and that makes all the difference. So we obviously saw that Mike Miner, and, and in particular Lance Lynn, uh, was willing to work on what Julio Ronhell and his uh, group wanted to do. And, and looked at the numbers and, and approached things a different way. And, and you've written about that many times this year about their willingness to do that and how much it benefited both of them and, and, and Lynn in particular. Whereas on the other side, uh, we've seen a couple of guys in the lineup this year. We saw Gallo, we saw uh, Danny Santana, we saw Willie Calhoun make uh, advances this year. Now, I, I would I would argue that uh, that group, that, that Willie was probably the most advanced anyway and, and may have come up with this stuff on his own, but, uh, but certainly those guys made advances where other guys did not. Uh, where Rudy O'Dor did not, where, where uh, Elvis Andrews did not, where, uh, you know, uh, Nomar Mazzara did not. Uh, and and I, 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 I'm not saying that uh, Ronald Guzman is, is not trying, but it's, it's just not showing up there. So uh, so the question for me is, is that, you know, do you arrive at some point where you just finally realize that, that some of these guys are simply not going to be able to do what we're asking them to do? Yeah, and I, I think that... Um... This was a question for me um, on Twitter yesterday with some fans was, who's the second baseman at the start of the year? And I think the second baseman at the start of the 2020 season is Rugnet Odor. Um, and there's going to be some people who say that Nick, Sol- Nick Solak should have an opportunity at second base. And I think he's going to have an opportunity at second base. But I also don't think, even if you're creating a meritocracy, um, a performance-based situation, can you make outright evaluations based on spring training? I think that's a really dangerous um, a really dangerous way to go about things, uh, particularly when there's veterans involved. Um, it's one thing if you've got three guys who n- have no experience all fighting for the number five spot in the rotation, but it's, it's something completely different when you've got a guy like Odor who's had two good seasons and three bad ones. Um, I, I think Odor opens the season as the second baseman. I think Solak will get some at-bats at second base early in the season. Um, but I also think that on both Odor and, Bo- and Andrus, that the slack in their line is played out now. And 
they've, they've had this full year uh, to try and get acclimated to what Chris Woodward and what Luis Ortiz and Caleb Crabby have all been kind of preaching. Um, I think that at different times they struggled with what exactly the concept was. Look, Odor walked a career high 52 times this year. Um, and so I, I, I know that he went to the plate on, on occasion with some restraint. But I also think that that's not what the, the concept is. The concept is I'm looking for a pitch in a particular zone, and if I get that pitch, I am attacking it. Um, doesn't matter. I don't have to go up there to take a first pitch. I don't have to go up there to take two pitches. I'm going up there. Whenever I get that pitch in that zone, I'm going to attack it. And I think that's with, – with players, I think that they run into so much trouble differentiating between the words – disciplined slash patient and aggressive. Um, I, I, I don't, I, I think aggressive to them means swing away at the first opportunity and discipline to them means taking pitches. And that's not it. It is have an approach, have a plan, understand the pitcher. This is how I'm going to attack him when he comes into my zone. The one thing I think that Rangers hitters as a whole have to work on, and this is, I'm getting off on the side, but it's been very evident to me in this in the division series that I've watched. This team has got to understand uh, it can't hit the fastball up and out of the zone. And it chases that pitch, I think, more than any club in baseball. You don't see the playoff teams chasing those pitches. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, to your point uh, previous to that, you know, when I was uh, in Minneapolis uh, uh, covering that series before the All-Star break, John Radigan and I were in the clubhouse and talking to Elvis Andrews, and this was a you know another you know season-long series of questions about Rubio going this one and what was he going to do to get out of it. And Elvis was was more or less defending Rubio. His point was he and he actually said, you know, we can't all be as patient as you. That's hard to do. That's hard to do that. I told I told Rubio, you know. Be aggressive. Do what you do. What got you here? Be that. Be that player. And that's exactly the point that you're making. You know, it's, it's you know baseball, and we went and watched him play Sunday in uh, in uh, Arkansas, uh, Arkansas, the lovely bird. And uh, they were playing Washita Baptist. And on his second or third batting, he he got a single to left uh, on the first pitch. And I and I told his brother, I said, I was so glad to see him swinging that first pitch. And and I'm a guy who. Right. You're not. You're only going to get that pitch probably once in a bat. Absolutely, and, and and that's what these guys still. And that's what's amazing to me is that they still don't understand that. They still don't get. No, you you got to know what your pitch is, and, and of course we've seen that with Odor. He's, he's short to begin with, and he's swinging at pitches at his neck. You know, and and that's and that's you know he can occasionally hit that pitch, but I kind of attribute a little bit of this of this to the same problem. You know when. Washington was here and working with Elvis in the field. Now, Elvis got to the big leagues on his defense, and yet Elvis has never won a gold glove. Uh, and, and, and that's, that's you can't really call yourself a great defensive shortstop if you've never won a gold glove. Uh, and, uh, and one of the things that was the problem with Elvis was that he would just kind of take, he would take pitches off. You know, he would just kind of lose his concentration a little bit. And that's the same thing as, as, as what they're asking him to do at the plate. 
you have to be on all the time. It's not like, okay, I'm going to be on now, then I'll be off next. You know, and that, I think that's what we see with these guys is that they're not grinding every day. They are not taking the approach that I, I have to do all of this stuff. You, you, you can't just do it some of the time. You have to do it all of the time. And and that's that's what was so disappointing to me about Elvis this year. You know, there's no greater guy in that clubhouse. He's just he's just a, a terrific person. He's fun. He's accountable. He's all the things that you want a person to be. But he disappointed me from the standpoint of that he allowed some of that stuff to happen around him this year. He didn't, you know, and he and he did at the end of the year when you had a conversation with him, which was very good, in which he realized it and said, "Yeah, you know what? I didn't do what I was supposed to do." Should have come to that realization a lot sooner. Well, I, you know, I, to put the epitaph again on Elvis' season, I think it comes down to this on the on the leadership and, and influence level. Um, there was a narrative created last last year when Adrian retired that the natural line of succession uh, would be that it would become Elvis's clubhouse, and I think from the very moment that the season ended and that question was answered or, or asked. Elvis very much said, I'm, I'm not Adrian. And, and I think some people didn't really want to listen to that. And, and I think that narrative kind of created itself over the winter that this is Elvis's team. Um, my perspective on this whole thing has been that, that Elvis Andrus isn't Adrian Beltre. And he's not a team leader in the way that Adrian Beltre is. And quite frankly, even though he once said he wanted to be Derek Jeter, that was when he was 18 years old, and who he's developed into is not that guy because he's been a follower all his career. So here's what Elvis needs to do. He needs to show up and be involved in the meetings. He needs to show up and uh, do all the work, not take any pitches off. He doesn't have to go and babysit Rugie. He doesn't have to go and babysit any of the younger players. What he has to do is lead by example, because all eyes in the clubhouse are going to be on him. People are going to watch, how does this guy, how does this guy react? And if they see him taking pitches off, if they say, if they see, if they see him taking a lackadaisical approach in some of the prep, that bleeds over. So nobody's asking Elvis Andrews to be the, the team leader. What people are, what people have asked Elvis Andrews to do is to be a guy who is accountable on and off the field at all moments in terms of how he prepares and, and, and um, gets ready for games. And, and I think that's something he has, to, he has to realize. I don't think there's ever been a moment in Elvis's life where he has done anything uh, with malintent towards anybody. But I, I, I do think that uh, as he approaches, he's going to turn 32 during next season – I think as he gets to that age and with the experience that he's had, it's incumbent upon him. Look, Sinchu Chu's not – for all the professional elements that Sinchu Chu brings to uh, to this roster, he's not the real boisterous guy who's going to go in and tell guys what they need to do and when they need to do it. But by God, the guy gets himself prepared, and he is, he is laser-focused on how you get ready for a game – and if Elvis does that, it's going to bleed over to other guys. And if uh, and if it bleeds over to other guys, it's going to become uh, the norm. And once it becomes the norm, I think it becomes easier to comprehend the whole idea of what the Rangers are trying to preach because it's not that it's not that complex. But I do think that 
what I have come across in, in, in my time covering baseball is that the words discipline slash patience and aggressiveness cause great uh, – it's like interpreting the Bible. You know, I mean, there's there's like this literal interpretation for players that discipline or patience means taking pitches and aggressiveness means going up there hacking first pitch. And that's not at all what, what coaches, um, what instructors – are 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 saying and even with all the advanced metrics it's not what they've ever tried to say they're just now trying to give you more information about which way when you're going to attack a pitch let's attack this particular pitch in this particular zone and this is when you're likely to get this pitch that's what the preparation is trying to uh to to give these guys well, here's an interesting question for me about all this with Elvison. Because I think this is a legitimate issue. You know, we we haven't complained about the clubhouse, the Rangers clubhouse in years. You know, I haven't said anything about a problem in there. I haven't said anything about you know malcontent. I haven't said anything about laziness or whatever, whatever it was. You know, it's always been a, it's been a good clubhouse for a long time. And uh, and one of the issues, one of the reasons why Jeff Bannister is no longer the manager is because. Um, Kind of a little uneven, up and down. Uh, the players not knowing what to expect. Guys didn't like it. Uh, it created some problems in the clubhouse. Okay, that's that's all good. And they and they go to a guy who's a little more upbeat. He's the same every day. Uh, so you know, maybe a lot more upbeat than Jeff was and, and Chris Woodward. But also a guy bringing a, an, an enhanced uh, numbers focus, even more so than, than Jeff did. So so that that's all good. Um, but it's interesting to me that if you're going to complain about the, you know, what was happening and and the uh, atmosphere around, then you then you really have to buy in with the new manager. You can't just act like, oh gosh, I don't know if I want to do that. I mean, do we really want to? You know, you're one of the reasons why the old manager is gone. And and now with the new manager, you better buy in on that. And that and that makes me wonder now if the Rangers should attempt to do something to change the atmosphere in the clubhouse. And, and that's what, and you and I have talked about this as well, by, by signing a Josh Donaldson, who would certainly bring you more of an edge. Now, that's an easy thing to say, but then when you bring a guy into a clubhouse, is that, does that change everything? Does it change everything too much? Does it create a rift in the clubhouse? Does it create problems of any kind? Right. I don't know that that's fair to say that about Josh Donaldson, that he would do that. He certainly, they certainly like him in Atlanta. So I don't know that that would be an issue, but sometimes you need to bring that. You know, Will Clark changed the the, the clubhouse with the Rangers when he came here, and certainly he had a different personality and a little more abrasive. And I think that ended up being a good thing for the Rangers. Um, so I, I wonder if that's what's uh, needed in this clubhouse at this point is someone who's going to say, "Hey, we're going to do it this way. It has to be done this way. This is a professional way." Because when the in the starting pictures. We talked about what Mike Miner and Lance Lynn have done. Certainly, Lance Lynn is as old school as it gets. Uh, right. and, and I think when when you see an old school pitcher willing to embrace new things and do what he did, well, that makes a real influence. And I and I and I don't know this, uh, but I have to believe that, uh, that Lance Lynn has made that known to the other pitchers on the staff. Uh, he certainly seems like the kind of guy who would do that. So. Um, I, I just think it's an interesting question about not only what you, uh, not only what they do to the clubhouse as far as bringing 
needed personnel. They, they got to have a third baseman. If John Daniels is to come back with a third baseman, then, then that's a, it's a huge failure this offseason. Uh, but, you know, as you said, I think you need the, I think you need the first baseman as well. They certainly need those starting pitcher. I think it needs those three things. Uh, those are, to me, those are the priorities. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with what they're doing at catcher. It's not worse than, than you know, 75% of baseball, what they've got at catcher. And I think that, that Danny Santana has earned the right to see if he can play center field every day. Mm-hmm. But, but those other positions, I think, are certainly uh, what they have to do. Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't disagree with that. Um, and I, the only thing I would add to all this is, you know, when we talk about clubhouse makeup and all this stuff, I mean, they had a guy for eight years who told them where they needed to be, when they needed to be there, how they needed to act. And and if there's anything that's disappointing to me, it's that um, more of as much as guys admired Adrian Beltre, I don't think guys ever probed Adrian and said, okay, why is this important? And why do we need to do this? And and explain this to me so I can then pass it on, uh, so that I can absorb it and then pass it on to to the next generation. And 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 that's a, you know that's a disappointment to me on that front if if, if that did not happen, um, because Adrian Adrian knew what you needed to do. He knew where you needed to be. He knew how you needed to prepare. Um, he had his routine, uh, and he did it. He he, he did it every day. And, and uh, so it's 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 hard for me to buy the example that that these guys, with the exception of guys who broke into the big leagues this year and had never been exposed uh, to Beltre, it, it's hard for me to to buy that they didn't have anybody kind of providing them that leadership because they had eight years of it. And and I think we all feel like it doesn't uh, get any any more exemplary than than the way Adrian went about it. I mean, the guy. The guy was off the scale in terms of, of prep, uh, in terms of determination, and also in terms of you know being able to have fun, but then being able to lock it down and be focused on the moment at at hand. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it is a disappointment. Evan, we got to get out of our Rangers podcast so we can talk some uh, college football. Yes, we're going to end it right now. Um, I would like to say, Kevin, thank you for joining us on the uh, Rangers podcast today. Um, We're going to let you go, and then we're going to um, have Kevin Sherrington on to talk about college football. Oh, that's going to be really exciting. I'm going to tune in for that one. All right. Well, thanks again, everybody, for listening, and we'll be right back with some college football talk. Thanks for listening to the Rangers Ballsy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.